Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. And uh, to be frank, I have no idea why am I making this episode even, because, well, some of you asked me to. We're going to be talking about uh, the most fraudulent vote in Russia's recent history, and that's saying something if you count the previous vote for Putin. We're talking about uh, this new constitutional vote, which is just insane, because obviously everyone voted yes and whatnot. I'm making this show just so you could hear it from me, so that I wouldn't leave it alone, although I uh, had planned to, due to the fact that there is literally no point of uh, talking about how everything was faked, because everything was faked and it was terrible, but some people ask me to, maybe that I'll put some dots on the eye and clear something out, because, you see, researchers who study Russia's electoral statistics believe that the recent nationwide plebiscite, which was a seven-day-long vote, which happened in trash cans, in the back doors of the cars, on stumps of trees, on everything, uh, yeah, like, they pulled out voting booths everywhere, for some surprising reason, is the most dishonest vote the country has had since the year 2000. Which is, again, a thing that uh, always happens with every election in Russia. They all are the most fake elections ever since the year 2000. According to statisticians, their so-called tests, quote-unquote, because there was really no need for testing, it was just blatantly fraudulent right from the start. These tests have a real number of red flags that support these claims. From a statistical point of view, the official results in many precincts can't be attributed to fair voting process, to uh, most of them, mind you. Researchers say, and I'm just giving you raw data because I'm really just there to put some dots on the eye. Everything was false, everything was fake, don't believe a thing that the official government told you. The official results in many precincts can't be attributed to fair voting process. Researchers say that the only explanation is that somehow officials responsible for tallying the votes changed the results. Because this is like not even statistically wrong. This is just so wrong and so faked and just so bizarre that normal statistics don't even work anymore. According to official data, from Russia's Central Election Commission, a little more than half of the country's eligible voters supported the changes to the constitution. But if you exclude all of the excess, 
votes from precincts that don't pass the statistical tests, it turns out that less than a third of Russia's voters supported the amendments. Well, let's get to uh, at least something that is interesting and new in this. Let's talk about how electoral statistics find these red flags. Since the 1990s, Russian researchers from a number of fields have been developing a theory of statistical analysis for elections based on the idea that the results of a fair vote, which was, you know, ballots cast, everything fair, would look way different than voting results chosen, quote-unquote, by hand, which obviously happened. Physicist, yes, uh, a physicist, because he's... Uh, one of the STEM guys, and he's been doing this for a long time, Sergei Shpilkin. He's uh, been the Russia's most well-known electoral statistics researcher since the end of the 2000s. According to his theory, there are a few ways to test for potential electoral fraud. Red flags include an increase in the percentage of votes cast for the leading candidate, or in this case, the authorities' desired result at a precinct with high turnout, relative to the proportion observed in precinct with low turnout. This could indicate that unused ballots are being thrown in as votes in favor for the desired candidate or result. Which basically means that if your electoral turnout is 70%, then 70% of the votes will be cast for the winning candidate. Basically, we just made up the results. 70% uh, of the old voters arrived, and 70% of them threw their votes in for whatever the government wanted. Secondly, the appearance of two visible clusters in the distribution of polling stations in terms of voting results and turnout. One with relatively low turnout and a relatively low percentage of votes in favor of the leading candidate, and one with extremely high turnout and a high percentage of votes for the frontrunner. In this case, the average results for the region or the country may fall somewhere in the middle between the two clusters. This can indicate the results in precincts belonging to the high turnout cluster were falsified in order to increase the regional or countrywide average. Which basically means that if you go to Chechnya where there is 99% voter turnout, 99% voted for. I'm just uh, doing scientific stuff for you so that you don't have to. Precincts, specifically those with high turnout, having voting results and turnout numbers that end in 5% or any repeated number. If these results are especially common, they'll stand out on a graph and look like teeth of a saw, peaking at 65%, 70%, and 75%, or form a straight line tied to a particular number. For example, in Russia's 2016 parliamentary elections, 140 polling stations in Saratov saw 62% of voters cast their ballot for the ruling party, United Russia. This can mean that the election officials adjusted the results of a particular number. Basically, if the guys were told 70% of your people must come to the precinct and then 70% of those people should vote yes, then, well, that is exactly what happened here. So, what exactly happened in uh, these elections? Sergei Shpilkin and his colleagues have revealed that according to the three aforementioned tests, which were scientific, but basically means the more people go to vote, the more people will vote yes, because all these results are totally faked, Russia's nationwide vote has become the most falsified in the country's recent history. In more than half the regions, with turnout starting at 50%, many precincts saw the number of votes in favor grow faster than the number of votes against. And again, I remind you that all these Votes were cast on tree stumps, in the back of a car, there were no uh, observers whatsoever, it was all a complete mess. 
But still, people are using science to delve into this for unknown reasons, even though everyone and their grandma at this point knows that all was fake. Graphs mapping the distribution of votes and voter turnout show two clearly visible clusters. Those with approximately 45% turnout saw 65% vote in for the amendments and 35% vote against. While those graphs that show the electoral districts with 80 to 100% turnout, because obviously there are districts with 100% turnout, those are totally not fake at all, so between 70 and, again, 100% support. Which means that in Chechnya, under Ramzan Kadyrov, 100% of all the eligible people who could vote turned up, and they all voted yes, because otherwise they would be shot. That is totally a fair election. Only a few precincts saw 77% of voters vote in favor because, well, some precincts decided to be more just than others and, well, rig the whole thing a bit less than, um, well, everything else. Two clusters and a disproportionate increase in supporting votes were also identified in precincts with high voter turnout, including in, well, who would have guessed, Moscow, where the results in the last few elections typically looked relatively realistic. And that alone is a very disturbing sentence, which I'm reading the, from the news here. Mm. Have typically looked relatively realistic is not something that you would ever want to hear in a real democracy. The anomalies this time around were likely made possible by the peculiarities of the voting process which is always fun. The plebiscite was spread out over, of course, a week, and most of the votes were cast remotely, without being monitored by election observers, and, like I said, backs of the cars, tree trunks, public bathrooms. Not even kidding. A public bathroom was made into an election post. Have fun, boys. Finally, the distribution graph does, in fact, look like a saw, with large teeth corresponding to 60, 70, 75, 80, 85, and 90 percent turnout, and according to these researchers, the peaks in the vote of the constitutional amendments have outflanked all the previous federal elections in the 2000s. What a fucking surprise. According to Spilkin's model, 65% of voters who cast their ballots supported the amendments to the Constitution, the official result was of course 77.92%, while the actual voter turnout was 45%. The official number was 67.97%. Uh, of course, uh, whenever Russia says something, believe that they lie, as they do, and uh, I'm, like I said, I'm just making this episode in between uh, all my Russian Siberia episodes because people wanted me to tell you that, yes, in fact, all of this was rigged and fouled up and everything's just, well, this is how it is. As such, around 30% of Russia's voters, 32 million people, voted in favor for the amendments, not 52.95% of the eligible voters or 57.7 million people which means that there have been more than 20 million falsified votes favoring the changes. Let me remind you, 20 million falsified votes, and there's just, well, nothing else really to say. They falsified everything, they blasted everything with fake numbers, and they tried their best to hide this, and then Dmitry Peskov, uh, the press secretary of the Putin, decided to say that, oh, this has been a great turnout and an awesome moment for truly the reliability of Putin's administration, 
because obviously the most fake uh, elections in the history of, well, elections as they are, is a uh, great moment for history and Russia indeed. Because, well, nothing, nothing really says we trust in the government as 20 million fake votes. Hey guys, Annette here. I hope you are enjoying our new episode of The Eastern Border. As always, a big thank you to all of our Patreons. The show would not be possible without your help. If you are not a Patreon and would like to become one, head over to the Eastern Border page on patreon.com. Please remember to also follow us on our social media, like Twitter, where we are known as Eastern underscore Border, and on our Facebook page. We also have a Discord server, so if you're interested in that, find the link in the description of this podcast. That's it for now. See you online. This podcast brought to you by RussianVoiceOvers.eu. Enjoy. But, you know, talking about elections alone, well, that would make a really depressing and stupid episode because... Of course they were faked. Of course everything was just fucked up beyond all recognition and I'm uh, being angry here because, well, obviously. Another thing I want to talk about here is a um, more interesting fact than these totally fake elections. Let's talk about how a confessed murderer became one of the Russia's most famous priests, took over a convent and started cursing the Russian church and the state. Russian public life has its share of COVID dissidents, skeptics, and deniers, but Schemehegumin Sergi is a story of its own. The 65-year-old Russian Orthodox priest, whose title indicates a commitment to a specifically advanced asketism and sacred rites, doesn't just deny the existence of the COVID-19 pandemic, and I'm putting this in behind the election story, because this is even crazier. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's the politics you're going to get from me, but uh, this is where shit hits the fan even more than the political part. And I'm being rude in this episode because, well, you can't really talk about elections in Russia without using some swear words, okay? But this guy maxes even that out. Sergei has harshly criticized both secular and church officials who have closed down cathedrals to prevent the spread of the disease. In the last two months, Sergei has become a symbol of ultra-conservative resistance to Russian government and the Russian Orthodox Church alike. After targeting anti-pandemic efforts in the clergy, he has called on voters to boycott the constitutional plebiscite that allowed Vladimir Putin, guess what, to zero out his term count. Hey, and this guy's on the democratic side, which is awful because he totally is not. And he's one of those people who hates all the situation, but all for the wrong reasons. Father Sergei has been barred from preaching since late May, but that does not stop him from seizing control of a convent he founded and threatening to defend it against the Russian police. Now, the Sredniuralsk Women's Monastery is awaiting its fate with nuns, Cossacks, pilgrims, and children still inside. Meanwhile, a church court ruled on July the 3rd that Sergei should be stripped of his clerical rank. And my buddies in Medusa, I couldn't go there because it's in Russia, so they would shoot me, but my buddies in Medusa sent a special correspondent, Andrei Pertsev, and this guy traveled to Sergei's hideout to follow his story and to hear from him. So, that's what I'm going to be revealing to you. Quote, 
the convent with the silver Mercedes. At the turn to Srednyuralsk Women's Monastery, a boom gate stands at the ready, raised and lowered by a security guard in a small booth amidst heavy auto traffic. I, and that is Andriy Pertsev, was able to pass by this first guard post fairly easily. The gate lifted, allowing a silver Mercedes to exit, and the guard didn't take much interest in the cars that went in the other way. Before them, the road opened to reveal a full view of the convent and the iron fence surrounding it. When I saw that view, it contained a dark emerald military trailer. A stead bearded man wearing rosary beads called out and asked where I was going. When he heard my response, he asked me to wait. Less than a minute later, a rusted Lada 110 hit the brakes as of the fence and a young man in the camouflage uniform emerged. We didn't ask you to come here! Leave! he said sharply. Since May 2020, when the Srednyoralsk monastery became a home base for the Shemachegumens Sergi standoff against the Russian Orthodox Church, the priest has offered to show the cloister to anyone who asks to see it as proof that life inside remains as calm and peaceful as ever. In mid-June, Sergi even showed local journalists his cell, complete with a coffin, standing against the wall. Yes. Yes, a coffin, standing against the wall. You're, you didn't mishear that. And a portrait of Joseph Stalin, Uncle Joe himself, because that obviously uh, belongs in the Orthodox Church. I am sorry, my truly faithful Orthodox listeners. This guy is a heretic of the highest order. But it just falls in with the election, so what can I do? On June 25th, however, when uh, the journalist arrived outside the monastery fence, its guards were already denying any such invitation has ever existed. Nobody's going to do an interviews here. Do you want to look around as a believer? This is just a normal monastery. Why bother the nuns? Nobody asked you to come here. The man in camouflage replied. Soon the backup arrived in the form of the same silver Mercedes that had left the convent earlier. It housed a tall, thin young man wearing a tracksuit. Goodbye, he told me, tilting his hand forward politely. Cars periodically crossed the lot in front of the monastery gates. Old Zhigul sedans and ATVs, bearing the camouflaged man passed by, followed by a sturdy Toyota pickup truck with a nun behind the wheel. Inside the convent, life continued on, even though Sergei and his supporters no longer wanted to show it to the outside world. The day after the journalist's first attempt, the interrogations had spread to the first guard post, and the monastery's impromptu militia had started denying entry to both journalists and religious pilgrims. Then, on the June 27th, the two men the journalist met and their fellow guards attacked a film crew led by media figure Ksenia Sabchak. Her film director, former Medusa employee Sergei Yenuzhenok, left the site with a broken arm. Yeah, because they don't care, just like the Russian government about the elections. Siemichegumen Sergei's standoff with the church and the Russian government began in the spring of 2020 when he filmed a video cursing every official who closed Orthodox cathedrals to visitors. Let me remind you, this guy has spent 13 years in prison for murder. Quote, Our spiritual leaders, according with the harbingers of the Antichrist, i.e. the governmental officials, are closing cathedrals because of a pseudo-pandemic. To cover up their own faint-heartedness and cowardice, they have proposed that we converse with God online. 
My proposal to these senile people, those people with their senile pandemic, their spiritual leprosy, the people who offer Russians only self-isolation, forgetting God, banning them from going to church, I suggest exiling them either to Bijobazdan or to the island of Martinique or to the island of Spinalonga, whichever they choose. Those islands were picked randomly. Truly, I have no idea why they were picked. I will venture to assure you that as soon as this happens, this non-existent coronavirus epidemic in Russia will end. Whoever interferes to close the cathedrals, may he and all his breed be cursed. That is what Sergei said during an April 25th sermon that was posted on YouTube. The video has since been deleted after Russian officials accused Sergei of propagating hate speech, which, well, was something that he did, to be honest. I mean, yeah. Sergei's sermon didn't go so far as to name names, but it was clear who he was talking about. The Schema Hegumen had just cursed the country's highest spiritual and secular leaders, but his punishment was mild. He was forbidden from preaching, but not from performing any other part of his job. Still, Sergei kept speaking out against the government. On May 27th, he was barred from all religious service. Not only did he continue to preach and conduct services anyway, he seized control of the Srednyuralsk Women's Monastery, which he had founded in the early 90s. Soon Cossacks and Donbass war veterans, the same fuckers who shoot innocent Ukrainians to this day, started appearing at the entrance to the convent as impromptu guards, because this is totally in no way involved with ultra-nationalists and honest-to-God Russian neo-Nazis. No, sir. The following day, the convent's hegumen, Varvara left the premises, and Sergei's improvised security force barred his replacement, Father Georgi, from entering the area. Now the disgraced priest has faced a church court ruling depriving him of his religious title. Even before this case, the court of Yekaterinburg Eparchy had attempted to try Sergei twice. The first time the priest left in the middle of his hearing, and the second time he didn't show up. He ignored his third summons on July the 3rd as well, but that did not prevent the court from issuing its verdict. In the meantime, Sergei has continued to preach, now calling the Russian Orthodox Church, quote, Russia's greatest enemy, end quote. He has called on Russians to report to the Federal Executive Cabinet and Moscow Mayor Sergei Sobyanin to the FSB, arguing that the officials are creating an, quote, electronic concentration camp, end quote. In one of his most recent sermons, Sergei called on his supporters to boycott Russia's constitutional plebiscite with his characteristic anti-Semitic flair, because this guy hates Jews with a terrible, terrible passion. Quote, and uh, seriously, I quote here, please, uh, this is going to be some offensive language. Chabadniks and Hasids are in control of Russia. Putin and the people around them are a front. The Jews control Russia with all their sneaky, vile lies. Through these new amendments to the Constitution, through our voluntary attendance at the polls, a slave-owning government made out of Jews will be legalized with or without our consent. In other words, we are voluntarily legalizing the reign of future Jewish Antichrist and his servants. I call on all of Russia's non-Jewish people. Do not go to the polls, but instead beat up the Jews. End quote. I uh, sincerely apologize once again, that was a quote, and I by no means condone any violence, uh, and I pouring to you the facts about how this extremely, extremely anti-Semitic man is reporting it. Sergei read this from a piece of paper from another video that has since been deleted. And he continues to live in this church. 
and he continues to do his work and the elections have happened and it's all insane and we have a completely weird ass anti-semitic priest there and i'm sorry that i had to read these words to you because for jewish people and uh, well i'm half jewish at least i consider myself to be and one of my best buddies is jewish and well for all the jewish people i think that reading that all the jews should be beaten is something that we did not expect to hear from an orthodox priest from a country that fought against nazism but it has happened and in the same vein he's against the very same changes that the electoral government did with their changes to the constitution the world's gone mad the russia's gone mad there is no more russia everything has changed and i'll bring you some historical episodes but the modern political landscape well they're beating back anyone with any radical viewpoints and this is just a beat stick for the liberals but the liberals shall fail feel the stick to themselves as well soon enough this is not funny and this is rude but russia's fucked liberals in russia are fucked all the rights in russia are fucked and we're all fucked in a way because we lost we lost even a chance of a proper democracy during these seven days leading up to july the first we're all fucked we're gonna have to live in reality like this and we're gonna have to understand that even the people who call up to kill and beat up all the jews might even be our allies and that that alone makes me go insane it's crazy don't enjoy this episode think about it thank you for listening to the eastern border if you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site theeasternborder.lv and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer like this podcast subscribe to us on itunes stitcher or on our rss feed happiness is mandatory good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland the eastern border salutes you this podcast is part of the dark myths collective visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one the dark myths void